Today, I would like to set before you, actually not I would like to, the church has us focus on John the Baptist. It's interesting because besides Jesus and besides Mary, his mother, the only person that is given more, shall we call, airtime in the Gospels is John the Baptist. And I've always really admired him, and I've, I've used him in my, um, in my own imagination as a kind of model for my work, or my ministry as a priest. And I, let me explain to you why. I want you to, to, to think about John. Now, we don't know exactly when John started his ministry in the desert. We have no idea. The Bible does not say anything about when he began it. But John begins by knowing that he has to announce, he has to announce the coming of what he believes is the Messiah. He knows that much. Now, this is what's interesting. John does not know that Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't know it. A lot of times we might think that John had it all figured out, but he doesn't. He doesn't know that his own cousin is the, the anointed one. It's interesting because that can be found in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, first chapter, verse 31, John says this. Listen to this. This is John the Baptist speaking. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified that he saw the Spirit descend upon heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Listen to the next sentence. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who is to baptize with water and the Holy Spirit. So there you have the beginning that you can imagine John. He senses that there is a vocation, that he's got a calling from God to announce the Messiah. But he has no idea who it is. He knows that whoever he sees when he sees the Spirit descend upon somebody and remain, that that is he. And so, in the, then we switch back to the Gospel of Matthew. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, John begins, he's baptizing. And as soon as he sees Jesus, he, and he begins baptizing by Jesus, he realizes that Jesus is the Messiah because he sees the Spirit come down upon him. 
He doesn't, Jesus does not necessarily want to be baptized by him because Jesus says, let us, you should be baptized. John says, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus says, let it happen so that all things might be fulfilled. And Jesus kneels down and then John sees the confirmation that the spirit comes down in the shape of a dove and and hovers right above Jesus. Now, so far so good, right? And John says to his disciples that are there, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold he who takes away the sin of the world. It's interesting because after, when I'm ready to give out communion, you will hear me take the voice of John the Baptist you will hear me raise the host and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Those are the lines of John, and they're quoted by the priest in the Bible, in the the liturgy. But now move the story a little bit forward. On John again, what happens? Well, John can't keep his mouth shut. Because John is possessed by the spirit of truth, of announcing even what is not so pleasant. And so what begins happening? He begins to speak against Herod, the king of Judea at that time. He was a king that was imposed by the Romans. Herod was not a good guy. He killed his own first wife. I think he killed his son. Yeah, he killed his son because he was not, he was afraid that his son was trying to depose him. He was not a good guy. But what Herod does is Herod decides to marry his sister-in-law. And that is not a good thing to do. And so John begins to scream out that the king of Judah is in an illicit marriage, marrying his sister-in-law. Well, you can imagine that Herod was not super pleased with this, having somebody scream out that. So what happens? Herod has him arrested. Now, John is in prison. Now, the gospel picks up right here. This is where the gospel picks up today. Then John says, listen to where the gospel picks up. When John the Baptist in prison hears of the works of Christ, he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question. Are you the one who is to come or shall we wait for another? Now just back up there. Didn't John already say, behold the Lamb of God? Behold he who takes away the sin. He, John already knows he's the Messiah. John already knows this. He pointed him out. So why is now John asking questions 
Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we wait for another? And notice what prompts John to ask the question. Listen carefully to that first sentence. When John the Baptist heard in prison of the works of the Christ. What motivates John to ask the question is he hears what Jesus is doing. Now, what would, what would make John think that when he hears that Jesus is doing that? Well, Jesus answers. But listen to the answer. Because Jesus rare, rarely ever, rarely ever does he give a direct answer. Listen to what Jesus says. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind regain their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. Now, what kind of an answer is that? Couldn't John have said, yep, I mean, Jesus have said, yep, I'm the one who is to come. Why does he quote this? Notice what he's quoting. He's quoting the works that he's doing. Remember, John is motivated to ask a question when he hears the works. And what are the works? The blind regain sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. Those are the works that John is hearing about. So why should, it, why should he question it? Doesn't John know he's the Messiah? Yeah. But you see, the Hebrews were not, the Jews were not expecting a Messiah that was able to do that. The Jews were expecting a kind of a military messiah that would get rid of the Romans. And yet Jesus comes doing things that the messiah is not supposed to be able to do. Who alone can heal give sight to the blind, allow the lame to walk, to cleanse lepers, to make the deaf hear and the dead raised. Who can do that? Only God. Only God can do that. And so John is puzzled. He's hearing that the Messiah is doing something that he didn't expect him to do. John knows that the only one who can do that is God. Now, how does he know that? Go back to Isaiah, today's reading in Isaiah. Isaiah says this, thus says the Lord. Go back to it. This is God speaking. The desert and the parched land will exalt. 
They will bloom with abundant flowers. The glory of Lebanon will be given to them and the splendor of, of, of Carmel. Now listen to this. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the hands that are feeble. Make the knees that are weak strong. Say to those who are frightened, be strong. Here comes your God. He comes with vindication and with divine recompense. He will save you. He will save you. The ears of the deaf will be cleared. The lame will leap like a stag. The tongue of the mute will sing. And those whom the Lord has ransomed will return to Zion with everlasting joy. Who's doing that? It's not the Messiah who's doing that. The Lord is coming to save you. And he is coming, and when he comes, they will, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be cleansed, and they will, the, the flame will leap like a stag, and the tongue of the mute will sing. It's God who is doing it. Now you see why John's confused? Because John is seeing that Jesus is doing the things that only God can do. And so when Jesus says, tell John what you hear and what you see, he's quoting Isaiah. He is saying, yes, I am who you think I am. I give sight to the blind. I give sound to those who are deaf. I open the mouths of the mute. You see, the central question, the central question is not the teaching of Jesus. The central question is, who is this guy? Who is he? Because he's doing stuff that only God can do. Do you remember when there was that, that moment in which there was a crowd in a house and they couldn't bring in a, a person who was lame, he, was, he couldn't walk. And so his friends take him up to the roof of the house, they dismantle the roof and lower the guy to where Jesus is. You can imagine this poor guy being lowered from the roof. And when he goes in front and he, Jesus sees him, do you remember what Jesus says to him? Now, think about this. What is it that Jesus, that the, that the, that the lame guy wants, the paralyzed guy? What does he want? He wants to walk, right? He wants to walk. And Jesus sees him come down, and he looks at him, and he says, your sins are forgiven you. Is that what the, that what the paralyzed man wanted? Nope. You can imagine the paralyzed man laying down there and going, uh, okay, thanks, uh, but um, I, I kind of want it to walk. But notice, and Jesus knows that, I want you to notice one thing first. Notice the priority of Jesus. The pri Jesus is not giving priority 
to the man's physical health. Jesus is looking at the heart of the man and giving priority to his soul, to his heart. And as soon as he says, your sins are forgiven you, he sees the scribes and the Pharisees in the crowd. And he knows what they're thinking. They're thinking, how dare this man forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus looks at him and says, why are you thinking that way? And then he does exactly what he did with John. He looks at the scribes and the Pharisees and he says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and walk? But then he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Notice the authority that only belongs to God. So that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. He looks down and he says to the paralytic, get up, pick up your mat and go home. Now, that's exactly the same thing that was going on with John. Jesus is doing what only God can do. You know, I often hear from people, people say sometimes to me, but Jesus never claimed to be God. You're right. Jesus never used those words. You know why? Because the term God was cheap. In the ancient world, every emperor of any size, of any kingdom, proclaimed themselves to be divine. Heck, Caesar, the Caesars, had all claimed to be divine. Caesar was God. As a matter of fact, right after Jesus, a lot of times what the Romans had to do, see, the Romans didn't really care how many gods you had. The Romans just cared that you add Caesar to the gods. And so what you had to do, if you were a good Roman citizen, you had to get in line and you had to take some incense and you had to go up to the statue of the Caesar, which would travel around, and you would have to say, Caesar Kyrios, Caesar is Lord, and put your pinch of incense in there. And if you didn't do that, you were considered a traitor. Why do you think the Christians began to be persecuted? Because they could not take a pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord. They could not. So, let me bring this in for a landing. What are the lessons that I've taken from John? The lessons that I have taken from John are two or three. One, notice that John did not understand fully his mission all the way. He knew he was looking for someone. He didn't know it was his cousin, Jesus. He was told to baptize. He didn't know that his cousin, the Messiah, would also turn out to be the God incarnate. Didn't have any idea. And yet John had to be faithful without really understanding the entirety of his vocation.
How many of us know exactly what the entirety of your vocation is? You don't. You don't. You just have to do it. And as you're doing it, God slowly helps you to understand it. When I first became a priest, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I went to the seminary. I knew I had enough. But every year, every day, God was using me in ways that I didn't understand. Point number two. In, John, in the Gospel of John, John at the end says, he must increase, pointing to Jesus, and I must decrease. Why? You see, John could have been the center of attention. John had a boatload of people coming to him. He could have been basking in his popularity. But John had to say, uh-uh, not me. You look at him. And he had to point his disciples to leave him and to go to Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. May I suggest to you that you have to do that. You have to do that with your children because the love of you is not first. The love of God is first. God must increase and you must decrease. For me as a priest, I can't go, oh, my parishioners love me. It's not my job. My job is to point you to him and for him to increase and for me to step aside. And if it comes to the point that you step aside and get your head chopped off, those are the breaks. That's why John the Baptist is a good model for us. Because you do what you have to do even when you don't understand it fully. And you do what you have to do even when you're not the center of attention and you have to step aside. That's what God expects of you. That's what God expects of me. Do what you do. You don't need to understand it all. And then when you've done what you need to do, you say what, it's one of the parables, it's my, one of my favorite. When you've done everything that you're supposed to do, you say, we are nothing but useless servants we have done nothing more than our duty. You step aside. You step aside. And so I just give you John the Baptist. A tremendous lesson. A tremendous lesson in your vocation and mine. Because we're all called to point to him and to let him increase and then to step aside.